hey, we're Caitlin and Katie coming to you from our library living room. We are here not just as children's librarians, but as people who are parenting our own children. Each week, we'll bring a new conversation about parenting with helpful resources from our library and beyond. This is your family, your library, and we are your librarians. Before we jump into this month's topic, we want to remind our listeners that though we're pretty good at finding resources and we have experience parenting our own children, we are not child development experts. Our choices don't need to be your choices. There is no judgment here. We are all just doing our best with the health and well-being of our families in mind. That's right. And this month, we're talking about bedtime. I don't know why we're talking about this because I feel like um, both of us are really good at bedtime. Oh my right? gosh. Like, we've already figured it all. Oh, maybe we're experts in the field about bedtime. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that. I'll tell you, there's never been an issue in my house. My kids are perfect sleepers. I myself <laughs> am a perfect sleeper. So I think um, as far as I understand, you just tell your child that it's late and that they look tired and give them a, a tidy pat on the head and send them mm-hmm. off to bed and that's it, right? Yep. Turn the light out, close the door, yep. and they'll never come out. Perhaps sing a uh, gentle <laughs> lullaby, something soothing. Yeah, if only. To cement the moment yeah. that they will remember and <laughs> probably pass on the excellent sleep vibes to their own children. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. It's not that easy. That's what always has made me kind of furious like watching tv or movies when parents or you know people <laughs> acting as caregivers do that yeah and it's like what like on what planet is that how it actually goes down i don't know i i am given to understand that there are some people that can inform their child that it's bedtime and they go into their rooms and the parent like lovingly turns off the light and closes the door and that's it that's amazing. I um, I've never if this that. is you, please let us know what your secret is and if you are made of magic. And <laughs> if that is a fact, can you please give us some of your magic? Because that is not how bedtime is at my house, Mm-mm. it turns out. No. Nope. What about you, Katie? Are you a good sleeper? I am now, but uh, around very strict parameters. Like, I have a whole routine, and if I deviate from that, then I won't have a good sleep. Is it like a window that you have to be in bed by? Well, I often try to go over to bed. Like, once my kids are in bed, I'm, like, done for the day, and I'm ready to go to bed. For me, a lot of it, I mean, I used, believe it or not, I used to be a night owl um, and stay up till all hours of the morning. But I just can't do that anymore. And especially after having Edwin, I've had a lot of health stuff pop up. And a few of those are going to be with me for my life. And so for me, it's been learning how to adapt to those things and knowing what I need to do for myself to make sure that I can be the best I can be the next day. Are your family members respectful of your needs? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, my my husband is amazing. I mean, he's really taken on a lot of that role that I think would generally fall on a mom. Yep. Like he sleeps with Edwin a lot 
if he's having trouble sleeping. I mean, oftentimes I don't even hear him. And which for me is kind of, it's kind of weird because I'm like, I'm the mom. I should, I should be there for him. But like, I know I am when I need to be, especially like if Mike's traveling for work, you know, obviously then it's me and it's fine and we get through it. But there's no way that I could be my full self without Mike. That's a good partnership. Yep. Were you a good sleeper when you were growing up? No. I remember being in my parents' room a lot and I'd be like sleeping on the floor next to my mom or they had this like little tiny couch in their room and I would like kind of curl up on that. But I just remember being awake a lot Mm -hmm. and having nightmares sometimes. And yeah, I just, I feel like I'm getting back from Edwin, (laughs) probably what I put my mom through. I was the same. I came home from the hospital with colic, Um, whatever that is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I think it's a real thing, maybe. But this was 1977, and it's like this nebulous diagnosis. Like, what's colic? I cried a lot, and I didn't sleep very well. So my parents, like, put me in the back, probably unbuckled, who knows, (laughs) put me in the back of, like, some danger mobile and, like, drove me around country roads until I fell asleep. And, like, it carried over into my childhood. I, I also remember ending up in my parents' room a lot. I had lots of like nightmares and a big imagination. And also like I'm just prone to not sleeping. I remember lying in bed and trying and trying and trying and then hearing the birds singing in the morning and being like, oh, this is going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. So I think that when Desi was born, that was my expectation of what having a kid was like. Like they just are never going to sleep because I'm an adult and I still am not a very good sleeper. I'm still awake multiple times during the night. And sometimes I still hear the birds singing in the morning and have that Mm -hmm. same reaction. So I thought, you know, that that was just what being a person is. And it was very surprising to me to learn that that's actually not how everybody sleeps. My husband, in fact, is not one of those people at all. He's the kind of guy that can sleep like standing up on the subway holding a pole, like, Mm -hmm. you know, He's like sleeping while the train is jerking around. It's dumbfounding to me. He can yeah. sleep through all my nighttime shenanigans. Yeah, which... Mike does the same thing. Like he, every night he puts Edwin to bed, he falls asleep next to him. Yeah. And I have to go in and wake him up. I was like without to... fail, without fail. It's so weird. I was trying to watch TV last night and <laughs> Devin's lying on the couch, just like snoring so loud, like the walls are shaking. <laughs> I'm like, man, you got to wake up. He's like, what? <laughs> Can't you hear yourself snoring? No, he cannot. Anyway, Desi is also a very bad sleeper. He came home from the hospital um, sleeping like a nightmare, and I was not surprised whatsoever. I think Devin was a little jarred, but he's also used to me. So Mm -hmm. he slept poorly until he was nine, just never wanted to take a nap a day in his life. There was no putting him down in the bed. It was just like constant maintenance. He would sleep if he was being held by an adult, preferably me, but he would sleep for Devin if he had to. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was just how it was. And Haven is the exact opposite. Orson now is a good sleeper. He'll go into his room and he he goes to uh, Edwin and Orson share room. But so Edwin goes to sleep first and he's usually asleep for a little while um, before Orson goes in there and he reads with his book light and then like goes to bed on his own. And once he's asleep, he's asleep. But when he was a baby, 
he never wanted to nap unless I, he was in the carrier and I was walking like for miles outside. Yeah. He was too aware of everything happening around him or I don't know. It's just really hard to get him to nap and also really hard to get him to sleep at night. But once he was finally asleep, that would usually be it. And he'd be asleep all night. And then with Edwin, it was opposite because he was a really good napper and he would generally fall asleep pretty well. And I feel like we must have not heard him at mm -hmm. night, like when he was still in his crib, because I don't know how it went from like him being in his crib and he was like sleeping pretty well to like now where, you know, he's up at like 2 a.m., some And some nights he'll, like, go back to sleep pretty quickly, but some nights he'll literally be up for hours what? waiting for the morning to come so he what can play. What is he doing? Just, like, disco in his bed. For like, real? He's yeah. Just like, He's just like, when's it going to be morning? Oh, my I'm ready gosh. to play. I'm ready to play. Is it still nighttime? And it's like, by the time it is morning, you're going to be asleep. Yeah. And, like, sleeping through the morning that you're waiting for. I don't know. I feel like we're still in a place where... I mean, we've literally tried everything and we've talked to his doctor. It's like, I don't, I mean, I just don't feel like there's anything else that we can do that we're not already doing. We have a routine mm -hmm. that we always do every night. You know, it's like he sleeps. We go to sleep around the same time every night. Our life is pretty tame. So it's like nothing really changes. Nothing is out of the ordinary very often. So I don't know. It's very perplexing That's just and very kid. frustrating. It's the kid you have. Yeah. Yeah, does he? Uh, his main memory of going to daycare is they they had a mandatory nap time, which I totally understand because that was like the time that the caregivers were able to like eat their lunch and check their email. So like, I'm certainly not going to be like my child has needs that are not being met. Mm -hmm. um, but he couldn't sleep. He just laid there on the cot and he hated it. He hated it. He was miserable. And like every once in a while, they'd give him some like toy cars or a book. But like he remembers one day at daycare, his dad picked him up early, like right at the beginning of nap time. And it was like the best day he ever had there. It's <laughs> so like that's his one memory. It was. It's really sad because it was an amazing facility. Like he had yeah. awesome teachers and was learning a whole lot and having a lot of fun. But that's the one thing you remember is like, I got to skip nap one day. Yeah. Haven uh. loves a nap. She loves, she's just like her dad. She just loves a nap. And in fact, like right before the lockdown happened in 2020, she was in this like pre-K program and they were trying to phase out naps knowing that in Skokie, most of the public um, kindergartens are full day. So they obviously don't have a time for kids to take a nap. And Haven mm -hmm. was like, well, this blows. Like, <laughs> they're, they're like, we, you know, she's having a really hard time not, you know, sleeping yeah. in the middle of the day. Yeah. Which, I don't know, totally foreign to me. Yeah. That's funny because Edwin's preschool, they had a nap time or like a quiet time after lunch. And they would say that he wouldn't sleep, but I don't believe it because – he would, like, the days he was in school there, he would literally, it would take hours to get him to go to sleep at night. Because if he takes a nap, oh my like, he won't go to bed until, like, 11 yep. or something like that. So, and they kept being like, no, 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 he doesn't nap. He doesn't nap. And it's like, you come to my house and you sit with this <laughs> little crazy nut until like 11 p.m. And it's like, 
that feeling of like, I love my kids so, so much, but like, I really need to not be here with you right now. Oh, yeah. And it's like, if you leave, like, then he's up and roaming around, and it's like, might as well just stay here until he falls asleep. I mean, it is like some days I like the low key rage that would be happening is like not even funny. (laughs) I don't think I've ever felt that like lava hot rage (laughs) like I have at like 10 o'clock after like a long day at work where like I'm laying down with Desi and thinking like, finally, finally, I think he's asleep. And I look over and he's staring at me with his eyes (laughs) wide open. It's like I'm incandescent. Like I'm gone, mom. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sleeping yet. Like I know. I'm so so like that's very rarely do I have to like actually physically tap myself out of a situation, but those are the times when it's like I'm gonna I'm going to explode. Like, if I don't get some alone time right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to, like, my skin's going to peel off and it's going to be nothing but, like, a rage skeleton. Oh, my gosh. Like, I know exactly. <laughs> and we don't have to. That's that's over. And I still have some, like, um, residual, like, anxiety. Yeah. You know, I'm just, like, waiting for Haven to do this to us. And she's she won't. She's never going to do it. She's had, like, mm-hmm. three bad nights of sleep in her life, yeah. you know. Once, notably, when she was about three and Devin and I thought she was asleep. It was like 11.30. She had been asleep. And we went in her room and it was like a total disco party. Like mm-hmm. she was in full costume. <laughs> <laughs> like a, and she had like a light up, um, like some strobe light light up toy. Mm-hmm. And that was going off. We're like, oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's wild. So when you were a new parent and you were learning how to do all the things that new parents learn how to do. Was sleep something that you studied up on or was it something that like you sort of went by instinct with? I think I I did do some reading, like a fair amount of reading around it. But I really tried to do it by instinct, I think. Because, you know, it's like when they're really little, it's like that cycle of like, you know, feeding, yeah. playing, sleeping, feed, play, sleep. But that never seemed to work with him unless we he was, like, in motion, he would fall asleep. But then with Edwin, I forget the name of the book. I'll try to find it. But I did read about, like, finding the cycles, like, the sleep cycles. So mm-hmm. it was, like, every 90 minutes or every, like, 180 minutes or something like that. Like, yes, like, your brain goes into another cycle. And so that's when you can, like get them to go to sleep. Yes. And it did work. It did work. But at that point, it was also hard because it's like I was in the bedroom trying to get Edwin down for a nap in this like cycle time. And then like Orson's by himself out. So it felt very stressful. And like, honestly, so often like Edwin would just fall asleep in the stroller. Like I'd just be like, you know what, we're just going to go to the park and like he'll end up falling asleep and or in the car or something like that. Yeah, it's like a whole new ball game with the second kids. Yep. It's like, I don't know, we're yeah. just going to do whatever it is that works. Yeah. We didn't I, – I think I did a lot of um, instinctual stuff too until we figured out that it wasn't – it wasn't everybody's experience to have a kid that just was like a never sleeper. And, and then I started reading all the books. We co-slept with Desi. My parents co-slept with me and my two sisters. So that was sort of baked into um, my hippie – existence. 
And honestly, like based on what you were just saying with like the eat, play, sleep cycle thing, that was the only way that I was able to get any kind of sleep when Desi was a newborn was having him sleep in the bed with us. Mm-hmm. And I think it just is what it is. Like it it worked really well for our family. I know it doesn't work well for other families. And I know um, I did it very carefully. I I read a lot of information on how to co-sleep safely. So I felt like mm-hmm. it was an informed decision yeah. based on some my own experiences with my parents. And it did work with our family. Um, I don't know if that contributed to his reluctance to sleep later in life. We tried... I felt like once we figured out that the never sleeping thing was not normal, especially not like napping, Mm -hmm. I felt like I read every book. I totally read that 90-minute cycle Mm -hmm. book too, and it was good. And the Mm no-cry sleep solution was really good too. And we tried to do – apparently the no-cry sleep solution, there's like a dance that you do to like get your (laughs) child to sleep. Like you're you're holding them and you're rocking them and everything gets good. You're not supposed to put them down until they're almost asleep. But if you put them down while they are asleep, then you're totally hosed. Mm -hmm. But like – lowering, 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 like we would get to the mattress and then the eyes would just fly open. It was like, I don't know, it's like one of those moments where you just, your heart just sinks down into your feet. We Mm -hmm. tried all the things. We did try cry it out. Um, I I don't know if maybe if we had kept going, it would have worked, but it felt so bad in our situation that we couldn't keep it up. He basically cried until he threw up and then yeah. I was like, I'm, I can't do it. It, yeah. it won't work for me personally. Um, but I know other people, good friends of mine for whom that has worked like a charm and their kids are like champion sleepers. So yeah. whatever works, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of trying different things out and seeing what you know, your child's responding to, but also it makes what's going to make you feel the best in the, in a stressful situation. Cause I think no matter how you go about it, it's stressful. Oh, a hundred percent. And like you said, I mean, like if you can't function when you're awake, you know, during your waking hours, because you haven't gotten any sleep, then nothing that you do works. Mm -mm. Like you have to just, you have to find something that does. Yeah. It's really hard. And I I do think this is a thing that is hard for a lot of people. I do not think this is exclusive to us. No, not at all. I do have a funny little anecdote, though. I've mentioned that Orson did not enjoy napping. And one of his first sentences was, me, no nap. What? Yeah, like a little jokester. He's like, me, no nap. Me, no nap. Were you like, I'm aware? Yeah. Thank you. It's (laughs) like... (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it said a lot about his personality. You yeah, know? that's really funny. <laughs> we had um, enforced quiet time because I knew that he wasn't going to, especially once Haven was in our family, like I knew that he was never going to sleep, but he had to go be in his room because Haven was going to nap and I was going to nurse her. And then I I really wanted to get to a place where I could put her down in, a, in her own, you know, like her bassinet and she would sleep like a normal baby. And so I put that little goblin in his room and like he would usually stay in for about 10 minutes and play. And then he'd be like, is nap time over? Like, no. How about now? Like, no. (laughs) So we're in there. I've got a little timer going for him. I finally get Haven to sleep and I'm doing that little dance over to the bassinet and I've got her cradled in my arms and I'm lowering her down and it freaking works. She's lying there and she looks like a little angel. 
And Desi comes out of his room and he's like, it's nap time over. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you can come out. We can like build with blocks or something. Mm. And he goes over and he goes, is she sleeping? And I was like, yeah, you can go look at her, but you have to be really quiet. And he kind of slides over to the bassinet and he's looking up, peeking at her. And then he goes, choo! And I oh, was so no. mad. I swear to you, I thought I was going to <laughs> explode like a volcano. Like I thought the top of my head was going to come off. Did she wake off. up? Yeah, she woke up. <laughs> he screamed a train noise in her face. And I was like, Desmond! And he was like, it wasn't me, Mom. It was a train. <laughs> I was like, I am so mad. But also, that's really funny. But also, I'm so mad. (laughs) He's lucky he's adorable. Yeah. I guess we should point out that as we're talking about all these sleep problems, sleep regressions, which is very real, because sometimes even when you get into like a good rhythm like I had with Haven, and it sounds like you had with Edwin, there are always setbacks. Mm -hmm. It's like just when you think you have it down, something will happen and it tears it all up again. But one of the things that, as always, we have here in the library is resources. We know that we're not the only people with these problems and people that are smarter than us have written about these things. Like you were talking and I was talking about books that help, you know, for whatever sleep issue that you're dealing with, there is almost certainly a book that will help you find answers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I was talking about the No Cry Sleep Solution, and we found the 90-Minute Cycle book, Mm -hmm. which we will find the title and put it in our list. We also have books for uh, parents who are wanting to learn how to co-sleep. We have books for parents who are um, wanting to use Cry It Out or modified Cry It Out. There is no shortage of parenting books in our collection that will help you get through whatever sleep issue you're dealing with. And we have a whole section in our picture book collections that is just about bedtime. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for one of these books, you can find it in our list of resources or our book list, or you can come in and talk to one of us at the desk. We love helping people deal with these issues. It makes us feel less alone. (laughs) (laughs) And we can show you our favorites. Yes, we can show you our favorites and um, we will commiserate with I swear, whatever it is you're dealing with, one of us has probably gone through it, too. Mm-hmm. Did you do co-sleeping? I mean, not officially. We kind of did it sometimes. Like, Mike would go get him from the crib and, like, bring him in, and mm-hmm. I would nurse him in bed, and, like, sometimes we would fall asleep that way, but we didn't set out to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, like, we we sort of did cry it out, but not really, because Orson, and at, at that time, Orson and Edwin were sharing a bed, bedroom as well, mm-hmm. so... It was kind of hard not wanting to wake up Orson, you know, going through that. So what we ended up doing, which we did when Orson was baby too, is we had this really ugly, foamy rocking chair, nursing chair um, that we got. a glider? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love a glider. That we got from my brother. And we had it for both kids. And we would end up just like holding one of whomever it was like Edwin or or Orson and getting him to go to sleep and often like we would end up falling asleep in the chair with them so yeah yeah did you find yourself going through phases where you felt like you had everything down and then like they would regress oh yeah 
Yeah. And it still feels like that sometimes. I mean, Edwin, like we have like a couple of weeks where, you know, he's sleeping really, really well. And then we'll be back in this cycle of, you know, he's up in the middle of the night a lot or he wakes up really early. So, yeah. And it feels like we've really tried to narrow down like rhyme and reason for it all. And it just, there just isn't. But I have to say like the one sleep miracle that is alive in our house is the fact that Orson and Edwin on a whole do not interrupt each other's sleep. I don't know how we would all be functioning if that wasn't the case. It's like Edwin's already asleep before Orson falls asleep. And then when Orson's asleep, Edwin will wake up in the middle of the night, but he never wakes up Orson. I mean, because Orson's like out. Um, I will say I actually do feel lucky that we had our kids in the order that we had them. If I had to have a kid who is like absolutely abysmal at sleeping, I am glad that we had that kid first Mm -hmm. because when Haven came along, I was prepared for like whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I was prepared for whatever I had to do. And it was like a beautiful gift that I had a kid that was so so easygoing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Like I, I knew how to adapt to Desi and it did feel hard. It de- it definitely felt hard, but it never felt burdensome Yeah, in a way that I think I might have felt like sort of shocked mm-hmm. if I had had them in opposite order. Yeah, here you go. Silver linings. Silver linings. We know that bedtime is not the only challenge you deal with. Browse our picture book section at the library or search our online catalog. Our issues category includes books on health and safety, behaviors, moving, and more. Find more information in our show notes. So speaking of things that are at the forefront of our minds, we've been thinking and talking a lot about literacy in Skokie. Um, There's been a big buzz around the reading instruction and education landscape, and it particularly kind of bubbled to the surface with the podcast Sold a Story, which was released last spring and really ruffled some feathers for some people and then spurred a lot of other people into action. And uh, the main gist of the podcast is it kind of throws the proprietary instruction methods, which are used widely like Fontis and Pinnell, um, throughout uh, public schools in the U.S. in favor of phonics-based science of reading. Um, so on July 20th, we held a uh, viewing of the movie The Right to Read. Mm-hmm. So Caitlin... I wanted to see if you could give us an idea of what Right to Read is about and also the discussion that you had after the showing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think you're exactly right. We've been talking about this a lot, especially I know I listened to the podcast and definitely like had a lot of thoughts about it. And we both have kids that are sort of just coming out of that like learning to read phase and now they're going into like the reading to learn phase. And it's been really interesting to see what methods Haven has come home with 
working on her own reading skills and how school has been fostering that education. It's been it's been interesting. It's been really good. I learned how to read by watching my parents read and by being read to a lot. So uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the podcast was um, they were talking to one of the parents, and she said that I thought that if I just read to my kid all the time, that they would pick it up. And honestly, that is what I thought, too. I thought that if I just, you know, I'm a librarian. Um, Devin is a librarian also. I love books. I love children's books. I'm steeped in this culture. I thought if I bring home beautiful books and read them to my kids, that they'll just pick it up, you know, like osmosis, mm-hmm. like the same way that I did. I was really young when I learned. And it turns out that there's more to it than that for most kids. It really doesn't work that way. And there needs to be some foundation of education. So what we've been talking about vis-a-vis that podcast and, um, you know, literacy in our community and in the country at large is what's our role in that um, landscape? Like, where do children's librarians fit in? Because we're not directly involved with the education of Skokie youth. We're adjacent. Like, we help teachers. We provide materials to them. But we're not directly involved with the day-to-day learning of kids. We help facilitate, but we are not the sole provider of that education. So we hosted a viewing of the movie, like you said, um, back in July. And then after the movie, we had, um, this was actually brought to us by a community member who asked the library to host this event, but I got to be on the panel as one of the speakers. So we had some leaders in the community um, and some parents and then some people from a neighboring school district who were talking about basically how do we support the community and how do we help, you know, instead of just sort of tearing everything apart, like what are the things that the library can do to help? And this is vital because this is all in the movie, by the way, and we will, we've linked in our show notes, the website that you can look at these statistics for yourself in case you're a visual learner. Like I tend to need to read things instead of just hearing them. But according to a study that was done by the National Assessment of Educational Progress, 37% of fourth graders in the United States are reading below a basic reading level. And I had to look up what um, a basic reading level meant. And basically it means you functionally cannot read. Like a basic reading level means that you can like read enough to get you from one place to the next place. If you cannot read at a basic level, you are not functioning. And according to a 2020 Gallup poll, 54% of Americans who are older than 16 are reading below a sixth grade level. I found that like very shocking. That's a big number. So the movie follows Kareem Weaver. He's um, an NAACP activist and uh, Sabrina Causey, who's a teacher. They both are out of Oakland, California. And then two families, one in Mississippi and one is in Virginia Beach. And they're all advocating for this science-based reading instruction, which has a basis in phonics. Um, So all of the participants in the movie reached the conclusion that whatever is happening in reading instruction in the United States is not working and kids are getting left behind in droves, especially kids who have some sort of learning difference or don't have family support in place that can, you know, maybe afford to get a reading tutor or to get assistance when Mm -hmm. it's needed. So kids are really getting left behind. And we know that illiteracy has real-world consequences. We know that if you can't read in life, it is really hard to get a job. So most adults who can't read have trouble working. And Mm -hmm. that 
cost the economy $2.2 trillion per year, according to a Gallup poll, which was made on behalf of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. That's a lot of money, $2.2 trillion. You'd think that that money could be invested back into the educational landscape. We also know that there are structural issues in place that impact how kids learn how to read and learn anything really as much as, if not more, than traditional schooling. Mm -hmm. So issues like food insecurity or housing insecurity or, you know, undiagnosed learning disabilities or mental health issues. So we know that it's a bigger problem than just what is the curriculum that your school is using and how are they implementing it in the classroom. We know as librarians and people that work with the community that there are a lot of things going on. Or even, you know, kids just being able to show up at school exactly. in the first place. Yeah. I mean, you can't learn at school if you, you know, can't get to school. Yeah. If you don't have that consistency in place in life, and I mean, it's kind of impossible. Everything feels impossible. Yeah. So we know that it's really important for us as librarians to have some awareness of child development concepts and milestones and also like a sort of general understanding. Um, none of us are reading or literacy coaches or experts, but it's it behooves us to have some sort of foundation of understanding where it comes to reading and literacy and, and what that fluency looks like. But because we are librarians and we're not tied to a classroom or a specific curriculum, we have a lot of flexibility about what that looks like, which actually mm-hmm. is is kind of amazing yeah. and kind of great. So like I can imagine that Being a teacher right now, especially a teacher that's dealing with reading in the wake of this podcast and this information coming to light has got to be really challenging um, because, you know, it's really hard being a teacher all the time. And right now, I think especially. Yeah. And we know that everybody is out there just trying to do their their best. Yeah. One of the things that I care the most about is, and I think you feel the same, like providing a place for people to come that is free where information is free and that people are welcome. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that a little bit in our previous episodes, like, you know, learning how to be social and learning how to use our material. This place is for the public. We are here to help facilitate these meaningful experiences so that people know that this building and our resources are for them. And I think that's something that, you know, because we don't have like a classroom situation where we see the same kids every day, like this is something that we have to reinforce each time we're at the desk, each time we have a program because we're going to see new people, hopefully new faces. And it's like making sure that everybody knows that this is a safe place Mm -hmm. to come to and that we can kind of be a bridge for them between their school and their home And just be a place, like you said, where they feel welcome and accepted. And then I think from there, all the fun and magic can happen. Yeah. And part of that fun and magic is we have access to really high quality materials and we have a really creative and dynamic programming team here in the library. And I can say with authority that I believe that like all of the programming that we do is based in some sort of literacy here at the library. So everything that we offer is going to help foster that 
like lifelong love of learning and reading. Mm-hmm. And if you come into the library, you're going to find something here that is meaningful. Yeah. We have a wide variety of programming options that are designed for pre-readers and then emerging readers from age-specific story times that feature dialogic reading. Dialogic reading is my favorite. And that's when you're reading a book out loud to a kid and you show them the pictures as you're reading and you talk about not just what the words that you're reading off the page are saying, but also what's happening in the picture. You invite the child into the story with you. Mm -hmm. You talk about sequencing. Oh, yeah. And then this happened, right? And do you remember that time that we went to the park? You see how this girl is at the park? We were at the park. Do you remember that? So pulling them into the story and giving them that sort of connection with Mm -hmm. it is really important. Yeah. Uh, We also have letter recognition in our story times a lot. We do a lot of repetition and rhythm and rhyme, and we also focus on other skills that help build contextual understanding and comprehension. That goes back to some of that dialogic reading. I run a family book club for newer readers and caregivers to come in, and we do some of that in the book club where we talk about exactly what we're reading in real time as we're reading it. And then to further cement that foundation, we work on a project or we play a game around the ga- uh, around the book that we've just read so that they build on those skills and also have like a muscle memory for them. Mm-hmm. We have programs in the summer like Booking with a Buddy, which is run by our colleague Mandy, who is an amazing, Phenomenal. she's like a, a superstar. <laughs> One of the best things about working on the desk with Mandy is that she's been working at the library for over 20 years. And she has seen kids from infancy all the way up. Like there are grownups now that come in that are like, I was in your two-year-old story time. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing. But she does a great job of pairing new readers with older readers because everybody knows that little kids love to be paired up with big kids. Mm -hmm. Big kids are the coolest. And Mandy really has tapped into that. And she's built a whole program around creating and scaffolding literacy and making it super fun. We also have a, a program called Grow a Reader, which encourages children five and under to read with their caregivers year round. My favorite thing about Grow a Reader is when people sign up for it, the instructions are just read. Yeah. And I love telling people that. Yeah. Like, here's your instruction card. It literally just says read with your kid. And you can read the same book a thousand times, and that counts. You've read a thousand books before kindergarten. Yeah. Or you can read a thousand different books. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. just the act of you sitting and reading with your kid. Yeah, totally. And I love, too, on the card that people get with each hundred books that they read. There are prompts for different ideas for talking with their child Mm -hmm. and singing, some ideas for stories to read or things to write and play together. So I just think that, you know, obviously those things are just as important for the foundation of a child eventually learning how to read. Yeah, Um, we use a program called Every Child Ready to Read here in the library. And Uh, The tenets are talk, sing, read, write, and play. Those are the five skills that you need for pre- and emerging literacy. Also, with Grow Reader, it's the one time in the library where you are encouraged to put stickers on the wall. (laughs) They're really cute, too. We also have a really robust collection of books and, and physical resources in the building. 
And they are in a wide variety of formats that are designed to meet readers wherever they are. So we have phonics readers and short chapter books for kids that are just like actually learning to read the words on the page. We also have electronic resources like tumble books and audio read alouds, which is really fun. Um, we got a new collection of wonder books and, and the wonder oh books. my gosh me too you just so push cool. a button and it reads the story to you it's so cool and kids can read the words along with hearing the words mm-hmm. as they're reading also it's really neat. can give page turning prompts so. <laughs> do you remember those we had like i can't remember what ours were called but they were like little records i had a little record player when i was a kid and it made this like yeah sound when it was time to turn yeah. the page that was so cool yeah I, I could sit, I mean, we didn't have a TV when I was growing up, and I, so I listened to five billion of those. I love them. <laughs> we also have a world languages collection, which I yeah. think is pretty unique and, and awesome. It's it's robust. Like, it is not a small it's collection. It's a big collection, yeah. So you can come and, and find books in all – how many languages do we have? Do you know? I think it might be like 20 or 25. Yeah. We have Spanish – Urdu, Urdu, Russian, Chinese, Polish, Hebrew, yep. French. Yeah, it's Spanish. Japanese. Yeah, we we've have got, a, we've got a lot of them. Quite a few. And then finally, what's our number one resource? Us. Us. We're here for you. Youth librarians are excellent supports. We have a vested interest in creating lifelong learners. I mean, mm-hmm. these kids are what make the library what it is. And, you know, they're going to grow up and continue to be supporters of the library and hopefully bring their kids here. and come back and see us. That's right. We take a great deal of pride in matching kids with books and materials that we think are going to keep them coming back for more. Mm -hmm. I feel really strongly about that. Katie and I both are on the Cool Summer Reads book team where we choose books for third through fifth graders. And uh, we read a lot. Mm-hmm. We love finding the perfect book for the perfect kid. Yes, we do. Also, some upcoming opportunities for families to engage in with the library, Book Babies and Wonderful Ones, which are on Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings. Those are for kids ages uh, zero to 24 months. It's just a great time to come and read some stories, sing, and play. Caitlin? does our family fun story time on Wednesday evening with so. Melissa we toggle it <gasps> nice. so you're either going to get my brand of sass or you're going to get <laughs> Melissa's dulcet singing voice <laughs> so it's either going to be really loud with me or it's going to be really beautiful with Melissa depending on what week you're here oh that's cool I didn't know that mm-hmm. um terrific twos with Mandy on Thursday mornings and then we have a weekend story time with Melissa mm-hmm. and then our newest librarian, Amanda, I believe will be doing two Saturdays a month starting in November. So if you cannot come to the library to attend one of our amazing story times in person, we also have a suite of story times that are recorded that you can check out. Miss Mary does a regular Rise and Shine story time that you could find on our YouTube page. And there are some legacy story times hosted by me. And you can find some from Katie on there, as well as uh, many of our other librarians who have hosted them. Miss Melissa, of course, is is a staple. She's so good. Yeah, we encourage you to check out the events page on the Skokie Public Library website. 
for a full slate of all of the wonderful programming that's available to you. And I will say, too, if there is something that you would like to see offered at the library that you don't see, reach out to us. We are very interested in hearing what people want, and we're pretty responsive to it. So if there's a program or idea that you have, please reach out to us. We would love to hear about it. Absolutely. or treat. Show off your costumes on October 31st at the library for an hour of spooky fun. Learn more in the show notes. So what kept you going this month, Katie? So I found this new word game on the New York Times app called Connections. Have you seen this? Yes, I love Connections. Oh my gosh, I like I was listening to a podcast and they had mentioned it as something like to check out. And I did and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, where where have I been? How have I missed this?" It how gives have I not connected. <laughs> how did you not make that connection? I know. But you know what? I I really like the challenge of it. Mm-hmm. So Basically, you're supposed to um, put all the words in this cube in, like, four different categories. There's 16 words in a grid. And it kind of takes me back to a not-so-happy time of, like, SATs. Mm -hmm. It feels a little bit like that. And I was terrible at test-taking. I don't know. So it feels – it's, like, kind of – pressure and you only get like four on this particular game connections you only get four chances or something before you're done and it tells you you know which ones you missed or yeah all of them if like like the today I didn't get any of them it was so bad (laughs) but I'm like each day I've been going back and trying again it's fun it's really fun but you're right. I made the same. So I started playing Connections this month, too. And I made I had the exact same feeling that you did, which was like the thing that I'm worst at on test taking, like the SATs. I, I am not a good test taker at all. I did not do well on the SATs. And a lot of it had to do with like being able to see those connections in a lot of different places. Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that could go a lot of different ways. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I read I read something somewhere once um, that said that people that have trouble with those SAT connection things were just like on a higher plane of intelligence. <laughs> I'm above this. I'm above it. Yeah. It's not that I scored very poorly on the SAT. It's that I'm actually smarter than the SAT. <laughs> That's what it turns out. Okay. I'll go with that. Go with it, man. It made me feel better in the moment. Um, I also love that puzzle. Yeah. It's... It's challenging and I think that's why I like it. So that one and then Amy Kuster, who works here in the library with us, turned me on to The Waffle. Have you played The Waffle? No. It's another app and it is, it's a game where it's another kind of grid. It's own app? Yeah. Okay. It's The Waffle app. But you have, it's another sort of gridded word game where you have to shuffle letters around to figure out what order they go in. Interesting. It's fun. It's kept me going this month. Um, You know, I was thinking about this on my way to work today because 
it's actually been kind of a tough month. Oh, and that's okay. Maybe maybe um, Connections is keeping me going as well. <laughs> uh, you know what? Devin found a bag of Halloween candy on sale at Aldi this week, and that's been keeping me going. All right. I've been uh, chewing my way through that candy bag like it was going out of style. I've been enjoying the pumpkin cookies from Panera. Oh. Like too many of them. I haven't tried those. I have one waiting for me downstairs. Really? Yeah. Can I have a bite? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I helped a, a family find a book about pumpkins this morning, and she wanted a a general pumpkin book for a two-year-old, and I thought that would be a no-brainer. I thought it would be so easy. But, like, every flipping pumpkin book that I pulled was, like, its own, like, war and peace. It was, like, <laughs> war and pumpkins. Like, it was 500 pages long. I was like, are this is too many words to read for a two-year-old about pumpkins. Like, how much can you say yeah. about that squashy gourd? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know either. I hate that when you can't find what you're looking for. Like, keep it tight, children's <laughs> authors. Can you please? <laughs> keep it tight. Keep it tight. Well, that's all we've got this month. Thank you for hanging out with us once again in our library living room. Remember to keep in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. You can email us all of your thoughts about pumpkins, pumpkin cookies, literacy, all of the things. Bedtime. We like games. Tell us what time you go to bed. What's a normal bedtime, people? Please reach out to us at podcast at skokielibrary.info. This has been Katie and Caitlin with Your Family, Your Library. Produced by Amber Hayes and sound engineered by Paul Knutson. See you next month. Sweet dreams. (laughs) 